The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 139. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a time lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hell, Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the sixth Doctor serial, The Mark of the Rani. And joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, Father Corey is on assignment. <laughs> I like to say that. It's, he's not on any yeah. assignments. He's, he's, he's taking no, a day off. <laughs> I think he's been, ass- wasn't it he's been assigned by his bishop to go to a retreat or yes. something with all the other priests? So he is on assignment. That's what it's, he's, he's been assigned he's by his bishop. <laughs> yeah. To do a priest retreat with all the priests of his diocese. Which is which is an awesome opportunity, and I do not begrudge him in the slightest that uh, uh, opportunity. I'm, in fact, I'm a little jealous. So that's very nice. Uh, so we'll, he'll be back next time. But uh, so it's just Jimmy and I this week. And as we as we get into it, first, I want to say, please, if you're listening to this streaming from the website or you someone gave you a file, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast. Uh, you could use the Apple Podcast app if you're on an Apple device or in any podcast catcher. But be sure to subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. You can subscribe, tune in or if you like, you can go to our YouTube channel, just search SQPN on YouTube, and you can subscribe to that and hit the bell to get notifications when we post a new episode. And that way, uh, you can be sure to get every episode as it comes out and you won't miss a thing. So today we're talking about, like I said, the this sixth Doctor story, Colin Baker's The Sixth Doctor, and it's The Mark of the Rani. Uh, this came out in February 1985, and this was at the time when they were doing, they, they'd switched to doing two episode stories so they're each 45 minutes long right so it's not any longer or shorter really i mean a little maybe a minute here or there but it's it's the same length but they they broke it into two parts instead of yeah. four which had been the it's like watching a modern two-parter exactly uh we're still in this second season for the sixth doctor and his companion is still perry and uh it so let's start with the ronnie now you and I and Father Corey have seen the Ronnie before. We when we yes. were doing the regeneration from the sixth Doctor to the seventh Doctor, and that was her second and final appearance on TV. Yeah. So the Ronnie is a renegade Time Lord, and she we learn a, actually a good bit about her background in this one, um, which I guess we can talk about as we go through. But mm-hmm. she was introduced as a kind of replacement for the Master because. It, I, I think the thinking was that the Master, as a result of just being constantly defeated by the Doctor, had kind of become sort of a joke, kind of like the, the DC villain Doctor Light. I mean, he yeah. just always loses. And so, and they even point that out explicitly in this episode. And so 
I guess this serial is meant to be a sort of handing of the torch from the master to the Rani, because the master's in this. Um, and she's meant to come across as a more credible threat. She's more right. amoral than the master, which actually right. it does make her in this episode more interesting. She's not a cackling villain yet. She's just yeah. a ruthless scientist. And whereas the master is a cackling villain by Anthony Ainley's time. And it's, I actually thought that, you know, when I saw the writing credit on this one, it's it's written by the husband and wife writing team, Pip and Jane Baker. Mm-hmm. And I immediately just so I know when it had the Ronnie in it and knowing it was by Pip and Jane Baker, I had really low expectations for this. <laughs> and it it wasn't near as bad as I thought it might be. But it, <laughs> it has some it, it's not great, but yeah. the Ronnie does come across as better than I thought. One thing I don't like about the Rani is they never explain why she's got the definite article. I mean, yes. they the the master, okay, master is a a noun that you could put a definite article in front of. The doctor, same thing. Even the Valyard, the Valyard is a made up word, but they told us it means something like noble counselor in Gallifreyan, but they never tell us if Rani means anything or if it's just a name. And if it's just a name, it shouldn't have a definite article in English. So that's a little annoying. They've made up this word, and then they haven't given us a meaning for it, at least not on screen. Is I thought Rani was, um, it's a, a Hindu title, um, like Raja. Oh, and, and... well, okay, it not maybe, but you could find any two-syllable pair in some language, it's right. going to mean something. Right. Um, I don't know, maybe there could be an argument that in England, because of the colonies in India, that would be better known in, in England yeah. than it is here. But here, Ronnie is just, I mean, that it's actually would be a name. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, the, I think Wikipedia says that in, primarily it's a Arabic name. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it was also yeah. Holly's Holly's adult name on Land of the Lost. <laughs> Land of the Lost with the Slee Stacks. I yeah. love this back. Uh And Chaka. Oh my gosh, I just transported yep. her back like forty years to my childhood. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the Land of the Lost you want to transport back to, not any of the others. No, no, no. no. So uh, the the Ronnie is played by Kate O'Mara in both in this one and in the uh, the Seventh Doctor one, and uh, she yeah. does. I I really like Kate O'Mara. Uh, I, uh-huh. I think she does a good job here. And uh, Un- unfortunately, they kind of ruin her character uh, because she, um, in her other appearance, which we've already covered, she has this cartoon plot. Yeah, where and it's basically the same plot the Master is pitching her here. Uh, you know, the, one, one of these subplots in this episode is there's going to be this meeting of these 20 men of genius and the master wants to, like, co-opt them and use them to make Earth a power base to take over the universe. And that's basically what the Ronnie does the next time around. She gets <laughs> Albert Einstein and some Hypatia and some other famous people and makes a space brain uh, with them yeah. to take over the universe or something. So it's kind of a reused plot. but And I do like... Kate O'Mara pretending to be Mel, the doctor's yeah. companion at that time, while he's in regeneration <laughs> recovery, and yeah, and, and that's fun. But it's still this really cartoon supervillain plot, 
And and then they went even worse by using the Rani as the villain in the disastrous Children of Time Christmas special, which is so awful it's considered non-canon by most fans. <laughs> and 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 unfortunately the Rani I think is at her best in this series where she's just an amoral ruthless scientist. Right. Um, she's evil without being like kind of bonkers like uh like the master is. Right. Also, yeah. they did. They were gonna do uh, the Ronnie and Big Finish, uh, but Kate O'Mara died like right before they could. Mm. But her agent assured them she wouldn't have a problem with the project going forward. So they actually recast a new incarnation of the Ronnie for Big Finish. Yeah, uh, played by Siobhan Redmond, I think it is. Yeah, yeah uh, and she even curled her hair a little bit for her character photo shoot to make her look more like Kate O'Mara. Oh, interesting. Yeah, kind uh, of an Kate homage. Kate O'Mara died in 2014. Yeah. Uh, and so then the other uh, uh, antagonist here in the story is, as we mentioned, the master, um, played by Anthony Ainsley still at, at this point. Um, wh- when was the last time that the master had appeared in Doctor oh. Who before this? So it was a, f- a fifth Doctor story called The Planet of Fire. It was a late uh, story. Um, towards the end, it was actually uh, uh, the first story that had Perry in it. It was the last story with Turlow and mm-hmm. the first story with Perry. And the master in this, you know, you'll notice they the, both um the uh the Ronnie and I think Perry refer to well, wait, you died, and he's like, obviously I didn't, right? And and this is typical for how they deal with uh the master surviving. In that one, what happened was he he was like trapped in a column of flame that ostensibly burned him alive. And he had the line to the doctor, won't you have mercy on your own? And then (laughs) and then he he, the flames consume him. And uh, and the showrunner at the time, uh, John Nathan Turner, confirmed that if he had completed the line, the word would have been brother oh won't you have mercy on your own brother interesting and uh and then in Stephen moffat's time they kind of distanced the doctor a little bit from that by um uh by having martha at one point say to the doctor he's like your secret brother or something and he, he says you've been watching too much tv but i think no the master is the doctor's secret brother and i think yeah. moffat even plays with that a little bit when we get to see gallifrey when the doctor is like six clara yeah. goes there and out in the barn, uh, we hear the adult caretakers talking about, uh, you know, this is like where the boys are supposed to be. Right, right. Yeah, we, they hinted that. Yeah, Moffat, I think, was playing with us a bit <laughs> in the, yeah. in the, with that. Uh, yeah, he makes some reference. Uh, and, I, I, and I forget where, and I'm not sure I made a uh, put it in my notes, so I'll, I'll ask about it here. He makes some reference to him being burned up last time. Yeah. Is that... When he that's, was the burned up master? No, no, no. Uh, that's earlier. That's before Anthony Ainley. So the way the the way the master's chronology works, we've never seen in on screen any. Well, we did very briefly see a little boy master, which would be his first incarnation when he looked in the temporal schism and it broke him. Right. Um, in a flashback. But in terms of on screen episodes as an adult, um. The first master we saw was the um, original TV version played by 
Roger Delgado. Yep. And um, and we later learn that's basically his 13th regeneration. He's mm. like burned through all of the others and we never saw them, although Big Finish has done some with that. Uh, uh, but then in uh, he, he ends up getting burned up. He's played by a couple of actors, inc- including Christopher Beavers. Um, and then Anthony Ainley's master uh, comes in and he the way what happens is in the East Space saga, uh, they're on Trocken, which is Nissa's home planet, the mm-hmm. Fifth Doctor's companion, Nissa, and her father is named Tremus, who is played by Anthony Ainley, and the burned up, incinerated master steals Nissa's father's body. Oh, uh, to be which so she has a personal beef with the master, mm-hmm. and so it's a, like an ex an, the entire Anthony Ainley saga, which goes on through the end of Sylvester McCoy. That's the burned up master using and using uh, Tremus's body. Tremus is another anagram of master. Um, and one of the things they've explored in Big Finish is periodically, until he gets a new cycle of regenerations, he the the same thing happens to everybody he inhabits. It becomes burned up too, uh, uh, and so he has to keep getting new bodies to keep going. And thus he steals Eric Robertson's body in the um the, in the TV movie. Yeah. Yep. And then during the time war, he's given a new cycle of regenerations, and we meet him again as um the as professor. Uh, yeah, right, as Professor Yana. And then he regenerates into uh John Sims John Sims master yep. and then Missy. Right, right. And back to John Sim or It'll be interesting to see if we ever see see them again. Whether will who who will be next or she? Yeah, yeah, excellent. So, uh, so let's talk about this episode. Uh, now that we we talked about the antagonist, the setting here. So this is the early nineteenth century, the the sort of the beginning of the industrial revolution, where we we open with men coming out of a, a coal mine. It's obviously a coal mine, uh, and this was filmed at uh, on location at the Bliss Hill Victorian town part of the Iron Bridge Gorge Museums in Shropshire. And right. it's, a, it was, it, it's a recreated it, Victorian town. Yeah, so they actually filmed it on location in the early 1800s. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we had a little bit of time travel going on. Uh, it looks, fa- I looked up their website, it's still around the town. It looks fascinating. If I ever go to uh, to the UK, I'd love to check it out and see and if any of our listeners, like uh, Bennett, if you've ever been, let us know. We'd, we'd love to hear from, from you to see what, what, what you think of it. Uh, but the other the thing is, I think because it's early eighteen, early nineteen hundreds. I'm sorry, early eighteen hundreds. Eighteen hundreds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in Shropshire. The accents are so thick, it's hard to understand sometimes. I actually had to refer to the transcripts that are online for oh. some of the stuff. I had a hard time understanding some of it. Um, oh, I was. Imp- I I tend to watch these things with subtitles on, so oh, yeah. I didn't have that, but. I I was impressed by the period dialogue. Yes. Um and I even though Pippin Jane Baker is normally not a good sign on a script, they they did good period dialogue. I mean, at least as to my ear. I liked I liked how it really did not sound like late twentieth century, you know, vocabulary. Right. Well, no, that's that's certainly true. And that's a little bit why it was hard to understand 
I don't, I don't mean it as a criticism, just as an acknowledgement as uh, an American with an American ear. You know, I, I maybe if you're British, it wouldn't be as hard to to, to catch it. Um, I like I like things like you know they refer to uh, I, I have the strength to lift a Toby, which is apparently a pint of ale. Uh, you know, yeah. at the at the tavern and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I liked how they kept using "nout" as yes. uh, as as a word meaning "not" or "nothing" or yeah. "not." Yeah, <laughs> the American American "not." Uh, so the, it starts with the end of end of a shift, and then three men are they come off shift, and one of them, you know, they says, "No, uh, Jack, Jack says, uh, no, I'm not coming into the tavern. I'm going to to the bathhouse, the village bathhouse." And that's something to keep in mind is, is people did not have bathrooms as we know it in modern times in their homes at, the, you know, at, at this time. They, if, especially in a mining village where men would get very dirty, they would go to the, the public bathhouse to get clean, uh, which actually reminds me of my own grandfather. My grandfather was a fisherman. Mm-hmm. And when he would come back into Gloucester, Massachusetts, that's where they fished out of, he would, he would go to the, um, the St. Peter's Club, which was an Italian-American club for fishermen, where he would shower, shave, put on a suit, and come home in his suit. And he would never come home smelling like fish or looking like a fisherman. He would come home clean. And uh, hmm. that, that's apparently what these guys are, are going to the bathhouse to do. But they're really tired, and then they have juice extracted from their brains. <laughs> yes. They uh, they go in, gas fills the room, they they collapse to the floor. Um and uh, they're they're taken off to, by the Ronnie to to do her yeah. dastardly who who is disguised as an as an old woman yeah the bathhouse attendant um, yeah meanwhile the TARDIS is off course of course it's being maneuvered off course yeah something is pull yeah pulling it off course uh, the doctor is yelling at Perry for nothing again <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> And she's wearing a period uh, dress. She, she, no, she's wearing a Disney princess dress. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's got the puffy arm. When does this fit into real world history? I mean, it yeah. looks ridiculous. It looks as, right. like a female equivalent of as bad as what he's wearing. Right. Um. And and then when she gets outside the TARDIS, she's miraculously changed into a different Disney princess dress <laughs> that looks just as ridiculous. Yeah, somehow the uh, continuity people got, got screwed up between the, studi- the uh, studio shoot and the location shoot. But uh, yeah, they, they were apparently supposed to be heading to Kew Gardens uh, at the same time. Like it was supposed to be that, that they were in the right time period, but they were physically off course. Uh, yeah. And the doctor says another time machine pulled them off. So there's a right. time machine nearby, and uh, so uh, and Kew Gardens is in London. It's a it's a famous, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful botanical botan- gardens, botanical gardens. Um, and so they 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 come off. He 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 has this device, uh, a time machine detector that they start following after they've it, landed it, in a slag heap. And it looks like he bought it at Radio Shack, <laughs> although he says he made it. So maybe yeah. he bought the parts at Radio Shack and made it. Well, you know, it, it, it's I've 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 seen. Uh, Get built for Raider Jack parts what, that were like I, that. What I find is fasc- fascinating is it's it's so it seems to be unreliable and he's like thunking it yeah. and it's kind of like it seems to be kind of like something you would make yourself from parts at Radio Shack. It's not really <laughs> soldered together that well, and yeah. so you kind of got to thunk it. And he's constantly has to fiddle with it to get it to work. Uh, meanwhile, back at the bathhouse, there's uh, two men in gas masks are now carrying the bodies of the uh, gassed miners. 
from that room and they uh, or back into the room from a, a hidden room and the miners now have a red mark on their neck uh, yeah, which they very clear little red circle and yeah. that's going to be the mark of the Ronnie so yeah. we have our title and then in the next scene they're awake and clean and full of energy and they go outside and terrorize this poor street vendor selling potatoes and they kick a boy to the ground i mean they're, they're something's yeah. gone on they they previously were totally exhausted and now they're energetic jerks <laughs> yes yes that pretty much describes it so back to per- Perry and the doctor, they're walking along and Perry starts talking about the hedgerows and how they're being chopped down in the in the 19th century and to make better farmland. But in the 20th century, people are concerned about the effect on wildlife. And I'm thinking, why are we talking about this? I know. Perry <laughs> is like, my generation is really upset about this. I'm going, message coming in, sir. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. has nothing to do with the plot. Just let's throw in some message. Yeah, so some, uh, some environmental message. Uh, apparently, Pip and uh, Jane did not like the hedgerows being cut down. Uh, so the doctor interrupts her and notices that there are no birds flying around. Now, we never find out why. Yeah, they, that's they, just dropped. Yeah, it's there's no birds. Uh, Perry thinks it's the scarecrow in the field. Uh, and then the scarecrow moves as they walk away. And I'm thinking, family of blood? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that good. <laughs> no. It's and apparently... nothing, really, nothing really happens with the scarecrow. Yeah. Is that the master in disguise or something? I, I think that's the implication. That's the only thing I can headcanon out of it. But the likes... scarecrow, we, the scarecrow doesn't really come into it after this. It's, we don't get a walking scarecrow monster. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if it's the master, is he just like to hang out in fields in a scarecrow costume? Did he know the doctor was coming? Uh, well, even the Ronnie is disguising herself as an old woman. I mean, she could just disguise herself as a woman of her own age, but no, she's going deliberately old with right, the disguise. Right. Basically, they're disguised from us, the audience. Yeah. Uh, so the three these three miners have become highwaymen, apparently, and they waylay a delivery cart carrying some machinery. Well, not just highwaymen, but Luddites. Right. So there this is the period in the early industrial age when the Luddites were active against technology and so they're smashing some machine that is supposed to be used to that's being transported on this cart that's supposed to be used to help automate the coal mine. Right. Right. People were afraid at the time people were afraid that all this industrialization and machines would deprive people of their jobs. Sounds familiar. And they were right. <laughs> they were right. That's what technology does. It's yeah. creative destruction. But the, then you get a new job exactly. based on new stuff until the robots take all the jobs. <laughs> right. Then we all get a basic income and we become fat and live on couch. Uh, so, but that's message coming in, sir. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the carter, the, the guy driving the cart, says that the parts were destined for a George Stevenson. And George Stevenson dum, dum, dum. Yeah, is a real historical person. The inventor who built the steam locomotive. He's considered the father of railway. Yep. Um, and a uh, little little fact, let's just throw this in there. His choice of rail gauge, four feet, eight and a half inches, that's how wide the between the rails, is the standard gauge used by most of the world today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not know what four feet, eight and a half inches signifies. <laughs> like why four feet, eight and a half inches? But that, that's what he chose. Maybe that's the size of his workshop that he could fit the uh, first tra- uh, train in, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the doctor here says to Perry that he's expressly forbidden to change the course of history. I noticed that he says this very very distinctly here. Now, whereas the first doctor in the Aztec said you can't change history because mm-hmm. uh, implying that history 
won't let itself be changed. Here, the doctor kind of fudges that a little bit and says, yeah, somebody's forbidden it. Right. And that's something that's happened over time. They've gotten loosier, goosier because they realized we can't do this. History is immutable thing and write interesting plots forever. Right. Um, they need history to be changeable, except when it's not. And that led in New Who to the fixed points in time system where only certain points are fixed and others can change. Um, in terms of who forbade him, basically the Time Lords. Right. Um, and we see that played out really at the, it comes in at the end of the second Doctor's time when the Time Lords try him for meddling in time. Mm -hmm. And then going forward, he's forbidden to mess with time, except when he's not, such as when he's con commissioned by the uh, Celestial Intervention Agency, the Gallifreyan CIA, right. to, to undo the Daleks from their very beginning. <laughs> right. So don't mess with time unless we say it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then the whole concept of fixed points in time and all that will come up in New Who. That's not a thing uh, yet. Um, so they they... The doctor and uh, Perry get a ride from the Carter that they've uh, they've saved from the 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 men uh, who have the mark of the rounding on them and they, nice they, use of Carter as a as a generic noun as, instead of a proper one. Thank you, thank you. Yes, uh, I've, I've I've read a bit in this area. <laughs> so the uh, and the the doctor's got his tracker, and as they ride through the town, and they they as they pass by the bathhouse where the Ronnie is sitting outside in disguise, the tracker beeps louder. Um, and meanwhile, she had sent a, a boy to go get more men to for the baths and for her experiment. Um, and then the master shows up uh, after the doctor and Perry pass by, uh, shedding his scarecrow disguise. So yes, that that was the master in disguise, scarecrow. Uh, so and doesn't explain why, but yeah, and they aren't there. Like I should point out, they aren't there together. They're not starting off having created a plot together. He's kind right. of showing up because the doctor. He, he's horning in on her plot. Yeah. And subverting it. Yeah. She's got her plan. He's got his plan. And the doctor's just kind of showing yeah. up to mess things up again. So so we may as well. Uh, we kind of mentioned what the master wants to do. There's this meeting of of uh, George Stevenson and Michael Faraday and Humphrey Davy and like more than 20 men of genius, we're told. And they're all like engineers and scientists who played key roles in the early industrial age. The master wants to hijack them and make them do his bidding and turn Earth into a superpower. And I'm going, dude, you've got Time Lord technology. What do you need these guys for? Right. Why do you need these geniuses? You've got, I mean, you've got to have it in the data banks of your TARDIS tech that these guys could never understand if right. they trained there in the rest of their lives. So, you know, but it's the master, so he can have stupid plans if he wants. The Ronnie's plan, meanwhile, is a bit different. She has, we learn, uh, she was exiled from Gallifrey um, by, because she, she's a f chemist, and she engineered giant rats that then ate the Lord President's cat and also bit the Lord President. And that's apparently enough to get you exiled from Gallifrey, I assume, without a TARDIS, because right. otherwise, why would you exile someone and give them a TARDIS? <laughs> um, but she's apparently gotten a TARDIS somehow because she's got one here, and she's become the ruler of a planet called Myasemia Goria. And so she rules this alien race, and she's been, she's been messing with them, but 
they have uh, now had a problem as a result of her messing with them that they can't like sleep properly. And so she's come to Earth to extract a chemical that goes unnamed from our own human brains. She says it's the only place you can get this chemical. Mm, and it, yeah, <laughs> that that enables us to rest. And so that's why the, the guys who were in desperate need of rest after they got the brain juice taken out, they became energetic jerks. Right. Um, because they're physically unable to rest now. And she's got, she's got a little vial of this stuff um, that she's been working weeks to extract. She's also been going through other periods in Earth history and using periods of disruption as cover right. for her activities. So like she mentions the American Revolution. She was apparently sucking the brain juice out of people during the American Revolution. But with all the chaos of the time, people didn't notice. And now she's doing the same thing in the Luddite period. And so she's got this little thing of brain juice that she's going to take back to Myosemia Goria to let her pet aliens rest. And, um, and the master snatches this, the, the brain juice vial and, and plays keep away with, with the Ronnie and, and is trying to use that as the, the vial as leverage over her to get her to go along with his plan. And right. if not, she'll he'll smash the vial <clears throat> and ruin weeks of her work. And he starts to overplay that card. And she even says, you're going to play that card once too often. I may just cut my losses and start over elsewhere. Right. But she doesn't do that by the end of the episode. Right. Yeah, it's it. it he does. Yeah, he plays that a lot. Uh, a lot. <laughs> uh, is there a chemical that we need to sleep? In a, in our brain? It's well, there's not just one. It's yeah. a combination of things, and the idea that it would be unique to the human brain is nonsense. I mean, other life forms here on Earth have the same biochemistry as us, right? In, in broad terms, and really, if you're doing aliens and they need to rest, they're going to have their own biochemistry that is not ours. <laughs> so, and wouldn't our body just replenish it, or like, I mean, was she extracting the organ that produces? I mean, we could. They don't actually say, but. It, yeah, but it, if it, she, they just say the chemical, so you would think in time it would replenish. Yeah, and maybe it um, does. Maybe it, they, the guys recover, I guess. Yeah. Also, she hangs a lantern on the master's problem uh, when when he shows up and explains her plot to her. His plot to her, she says, "You're unbalanced. No wonder the the doctor always outwits you." <laughs> yeah. Ouch. That one. That Ouch, one left a yeah. mark. <laughs> that was the mark yeah. of the rowdy. <laughs> so the Burn. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of the StarQuest Production Network, with a special message seeking your support. StarQuest needs your help. Over the past year, we've grown by leaps and bounds. Every month, we produce dozens of shows covering numerous topics and all explore the intersection of faith and pop culture, which is the core of our mission. Some, like Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, are among the most popular shows StarQuest has ever produced in all its 13-year history, and our newest shows, like American Catholic History, are catching fire with new audiences. We're fulfilling our mission of evangelization in a whole new way, but that success is in danger. We must reach the financial break-even point if we're going to continue. Creating, editing, producing, distributing, and promoting a dozen shows have caused our expenses to rise, 
and we are no longer making ends meet. We're rapidly eating through our reserves, and soon they'll be gone, and we'll have to cut back many of our shows. We might even have to shut down altogether. That's why it's crucial we hear from you right now. If you haven't yet become a supporter, please do so now. If you are a supporter, please prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. Please visit sqpn.com give today and click the Become a Patron button to make your monthly pledge. Or to give a one-time gift, click the Donate button. When you become a patron, you'll have access to exclusive benefits and several special thank you gifts for supporting StarQuest at different levels. The need is urgent, so please go to sqpn.com slash give today. Thank you from all of us at StarQuest, and God bless you. May we hear from you today? The doctor shows up at uh, the, this gate to the, the, the mine facility uh, where Stevenson works. Stevenson works for Lord Ravensworth, who is actually also a real historical person um, that they've used in this story. Uh, and he he talks his way in basically. Uh, he he wants he doesn't have psychic paper yet, so he doesn't right. he, he's not able to prove that he's one of these geniuses for the meeting. But he gets taken in and, and set aside until they can figure out what to do with him. The the master shows up, kills a guard dog, and then a guard, and then encounters the three rampaging miners, and he gets them to go after the doctor. Uh, and now then they nearly knock the doctor into the mine. If chasing, he tells them that the doctor is uh, coming to take their jobs away. He's one of these right. uh, inventors who's going to take their job away. So they nearly knock the doctor into the, the pit, the, the mine pit, uh, until he's saved by Lord Ravensworth, uh, who, who comes along at the right at the, the right moment. Yeah. Also, up to this point in the episode Anthony Ainley's acting as the master is relatively restrained. Yeah. He's keeping his voice down, he's not cackling evilly all the time and I kind of like this version of him at this point. He's being a little more subtle. It's like the John Sim master from the uh the, the, the his last episode with the 12th doctor yeah. as opposed to the 10th doctor version <laughs> where he had the uh, the drums in his head. So uh, Ray, Ravensworth confirms that the, the, many of the men are suddenly turning savage. They're going berserk, having a complete change of personality. Uh, and then we, we switch back to the Ronnie, who's doing something to the unconscious men. Um, while the and while the master is breaking into the bathhouse behind her, um, and and the, he, this is the when he steals the uh, uh, the brain juice. Um, he for one has a sonic apparently that works on wood. By the way. I, mm-hmm. I noticed he uses his sonic screwdriver to open the wooden door that uh, the doctor's screwdriver can't. Uh, <laughs> uh, not this doctor. This doctor doesn't have a screwdriver. Uh, and then she's turning some of the servants into, uh, uh, some of the men into zombie servants by putting a special, specially chemically altered maggots into them, which, yeah. uh, Khan. <laughs> Except she doesn't put them in the ear. She she makes them eat the maggots. Oh. And they've got a little like pillbox. She's got you know yeah. an or, or or kind of ornate period pillbox filled with green maggots, yeah. <laughs> and and it's pretty creepy. Yeah. Not only does the di- does the master steal the brain juice, but she like holds up the thing. Yeah, I'm using these, and he snatches out of her hand. Like she's like the worst at holding on to yeah. things. <laughs> like she's the easiest uh, person to pull a a, a pickpocket on. Uh, so he gets well, those two. She did offer him one, and I, because th- he's marveling over how instead of using hypnotism to control people, which is his deal, yeah, she has this chemical maggot mind control thing going, which he's really impressed by. That's one of the things that 
repeatedly happens in this episode is to build her up as a villain. Both the master and the doctor repeatedly praise how smart she is. Right. And and so here the master is praising her for her chemical maggot mind control thing, <laughs> which is, a, I guess, better than hypnotism. Right. And um, and and she she he's kind of, I think, initially skeptical. And she says, well, why don't you try one? Yeah. And I thought she meant. Why don't you eat one of these and become my zombie slave if you're so smart? You I know, think she's that's just what she being, meant. Being a jerk. Yeah. But then when he snatches the snatches the pillbox, she says, "I said one, not all of them." <laughs> right. And so it seems like she was genuinely offering to let him try one of these on somebody else. Oh, yeah. Which he then goes and does with this guy named Luke, who's the assistant of um, Stevenson. Of, uh, Stevenson. Yeah, and also happens to be one of the mi- uh, miners we saw, Jack, his son. Uh, his son. Yeah. So um, she does, ag- as you said, reluctantly agree to work with the master against the doctor um, in to, and to bring her brother's plan to get her brain fluid back. Uh, meanwhile, the doctor figures out that the bathhouse is somehow involved in all, all of this, the, the, what's going on. Um, and uh, the Ronnie has her henchmen ambush the master in the mine, but then she has to kill one of them because he might smash the vial of brain, brain fluid, the, the master might. Um, right. And then, oh, and at this point, she takes another shot at the master, too. He's not there, but she's talking about him and says, that his current plan must be something devious and overcomplicated. He gets dizzy if he tries to walk in a straight line. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> that was good. And uh, and we find we see that when when she has to kill one of these men that she controls, the mark on the on their neck grows very large, and yeah. that's the master calls it oh the mark of the Rani, uh, which you know a way over obvious uh, use of the line. So the lipstick on your neck gets bigger when you die. <laughs> And that is the mark of the Ronnie. So the doctor sneaks into the bathhouse. I like this this thing he does. This this. So when you come into the bathhouse, you're supposed to put a coin into a little box. And so he follows these other guys in, clink clink, and he takes the box and sort of bangs it down to make it look sound like he dropped a coin into it. That's a bit of a mm-hmm. clever little uh, gag there. Uh, so mm-hmm. he he sneaks in and is immediately knocked out by the knockout gas. <laughs> like yeah. good good going, doctor. Uh, <laughs> So the uh, the the master then sends uh, the the crazy berserk men, the the luddite men now, the the, the sleepless men, uh, to bury the TARDIS in the deepest mine uh, to to grab the Doctor's yeah. TARDIS. So attack of the sleepless luddites would <laughs> be a really great title for something. Yes, um, but they don't. Even though they're told to bury it in the deepest part of the mine, yeah, they just toss it down the opening. <laughs> okay it's gonna land in the lightest part of the mine (laughs) i mean the 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 it's not the deepest and it's Um, apparently a long ways down i mean one of the guys had fallen in previously and and got killed uh, apparently yeah yeah but it's still that's going to be the that's going to be like the the top of the mine and 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 it's interesting they do this because it's it's supposed to gin up tension for the audience because now we have you know a serious TARDIS separation except it's so not serious the TARDIS is clearly invulnerable to whatever they do so all they have to do is go down in the mine and find it and the doctor totally shrugs this off it's like no big deal we'll just go down there and get it when we need it (laughs) right right well because the Roddy's 
the TARDIS ends up down there. We'll talk about that in a second, but yeah. down in the mine, too. Uh, so uh, we never do see the Master's TARDIS. It, he's apparently not. Uh, yeah. We, and he gets left we, behind at the end. Yeah. Uh, so the Doctor wakes up. He's restrained on a table. and He recognizes the Ronnie. And he realizes that the change in brain chemicals is a trademark of the Ronnie. She's a, she's a biochemist. And uh, this is when she admits she's been coming to Earth for centuries without being discovered. Uh, she and the Master go out. And then Perry comes along and finds the doctor, but gets caught by the master and the Ronnie before she can help. Uh, the master is still mad at her for last time that they met and wants to do her in. He's like, he actually, he's got a homicidal at this moment. Then the Ronnie stops him. Um, it, the, the Ronnie says here, she's going to extract uh, Perry's brain fluid. Although she's yep. only been extracting brain fluid from men so far. Uh, which is well, interesting. She's, she, she's got them coming to the uh um, the bathhouse coming to the bathhouse because they're coal miners. Right, right. So women may not take baths as often. So if but, they're not getting dirty in the mine every day. That's right. So so she's going to take Perry's brain fluid. And the doctor's only comment is to say that a hyperactive Perry is too ghastly to contemplate. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. This poor girl who's your companion who's under your care, and all you can say is, oh, Good, you know, I mean, with this that's a that would be terrible. She'll be hyperactive. I mean, come on. Uh, so then the well, uh, I mean, the doctor in a forthcoming story does actually like, you know, do evil brain surgery things on Perry, and her her brain ends up getting replaced by a slug. Oh, nice. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the things I, I my notes here is when the master talks about his plan to use the. Uh, the English Industrial Revolution geniuses to turn the Earth into a power base for conquering the universe again. Uh, I'm I'm thinking to myself, why not find another planet? Like, wh why mm -hmm. why Earth? Like, why are you Are there no other planets you could in all of time and space? Well, here and they don't say it, but I think they give us the evidence we need for a reasonable headcanon on that because the the Ronnie points out that the Master is just obsessed with the Doctor, right? And, and the Doctor and is obsessed. The with Doctor Earth. loves Earth, yeah. yeah. So transitively, the Master wants to use Earth to get the Doctor. Okay, all right. I guess that makes sense. Uh, so uh, my note here is: this is when they drop the TARDIS into the pit, and I <laughs> my note is Benito TARDIS. <laughs> Goodbye, TARDIS. Mm. Uh, that goes in. Um, the the uh, doctor is still strapped to a, a gurney, but he manages to kick the master's sonic and then tells Perry to push, push the the gurney like he wants to escape. And she pushes him down the hill. Yeah, <laughs> Wrong run direction. Away, doctor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, where he, and then uh, where he's headed, of course, straight for the the miners who grab him and send him straight toward the pit opening after the TARDIS. Uh, and that's where our first episode ends. Uh, our second episode, he's just about to fall in. Well, our second op episode opens with a man coming to the doctor's rescue just in time, push closing the, the cover to the pit, and it turns out it's George Stevenson, the, yeah. the genius. Uh, it, in, the, uh, in Stevenson's workshop, the doctor then convinces Stevenson to cancel the meeting of the geniuses. Uh, and Luke, who is uh, uh, Minor Jack's son but is also as we said stevenson's assistant he goes out to bring the message that the meeting is canceled to ravensworth and to look for his father at the same time but there's a nice tasty maggot waiting for him <laughs> yes the master does the old tv trick of hypnotizing someone instantly 
while waving something in front of them. Uh, we, we, we had a, an interesting discussion recently about hypnosis. Uh, on yeah. the mysterious world. So the, mm-hmm. the, I, I, we we can see how I noticed they don't they don't do that on TV anymore. The, the that old gimmick. Yeah, I think, the waving stuff. Yeah, I think the audiences have become a little more sophisticated to not not believe that anymore. Yeah, so, but you know it's okay with the master, even if hypnosis is just a socially learned role, as I argued in our mysterious world episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the master is a time lord and they're telepathic. So his hypnosis is a little different. Yes, that's true. And then just to make sure he then zombifies him with the Ronnie's maggot and then yeah. orders him to kill anyone who tries to cancel the meeting. And there's a sophis- so, sophisticated bit of subterfuge that Luke then carries out here. Yeah, Luke- he's using his mind now subverted yep. to, um, I mean, it's not like he's a zombie exactly. He's just right. switched sides because of the maggot. Right. And so he's cleverly using his mind to do this kind of runaround to keep uh, Stevenson and uh, Lord Raven, Ravensworth, Ravensworth yep. From, yep. who both want to cancel the meeting. He's telling each of them that the other is not going to like that. And right. he's keeping them from communicating with each other. And that way he doesn't have to kill them uh, if he can get them to just keep the meeting on on track. Uh, yeah. Speaking of on track, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I was just going to talk about the the doctor and Stevenson playing with trains uh, oh. back in his mm-hmm. workshop, um, and, and especially the and what they have there is a model of the rocket, which was Stevenson's first train. That in the and Stevenson is asking the doctor about a particular problem he's a mechanical problem he's having, and then yeah. Perry reminds them, uh, "Doctor, there's a more pressing problem in front of us. Like, pay attention to the problem, not this really yeah. fun historical thing that you're doing." Mm-hmm. Also, speaking of Time Lord superpowers, um, the Doctor displays one we've never seen before or since, as far as I'm aware in this episode. Um, at one point, he's outside and he's about to be attacked by the Luddites. Yep. They're like going to smash this big thing into him. And Perry screams to warn him. And then the Doctor force jumps out of the way. <laughs> he does. It's amazing. I mean, they don't have the budget to show it at a distance, but they we see his feet going straight up out of frame. <laughs> and then he is like dozens of feet away when we see him next. And even it happened so fast, Perry thought he got smashed. She didn't see him actually do the leap. So he like force jumps out of the way. And then, then she asks him, like, how'd you do that? And he makes a peripheral vision pun uh, there. Uh, I forget exactly what it yeah. was, but but it makes a pun. Yeah, he he also, and I'll. This is a flaw in the writing. He also repeatedly, when asked how or why questions, he says, "I'll explain later," and that just happens over and over in this episode. Right, and he never does. <laughs> and he never does. <laughs> explain later. Uh, so this is about when the ambassador proposes the alliance with the Rani, and she agrees. Um, but he needs more parasites to take control of people. Uh, and then she can process every human she wants unimpeded. Uh, so she then just kills off her zombie assistants without a thought. Like, it's yeah. truly evil, these poor guys that she's zombified. Uh, she she kills them off. Um, and the Master's the- also been killing people, too. I mean, when we first meet him after he takes off the Scarecrow disguise, so he's walking around is in his totally not in his totally inconspicuous all-black suit with the frilly collar. <laughs> yeah. Um, he immediately uses his tissue compression eliminator to kill a dog and a man. Although right. we for some reason we don't get to see their miniaturized versions. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that now. That's that that's the weapon he uses. 
Perry wants the doctor to stop chasing the Ronnie and the master and get the TARDIS out of the pit. Uh, and now, now she's getting a bit shrill and naggy at this point. Like, so the doctor mm-hmm. was being kind of a jerk before. She's kind of getting a little bit like <laughs> hard to yeah. bear now. Uh, and it's like, okay, w- w- let's stop the the world ending plot, and then we can worry about the TARDIS. Like, you know, I think her priorities got yeah, I've gotten a little mixed up. Um, yeah, the the doctor uh, quotes Shakespeare's Julius Caesar: "A coward dies many times before his death. The valiant never taste of death but once." And then Perry quotes, discretion is the better part of valor. And then the doctor says, the bard's an interesting fellow, and he should go see him again sometime, uh, which yeah. he does as the 10th doctor yep. <laughs> with uh, with Martha Jones. Uh, Perry uh, at, at one point says the line, where do you reckon she's gone? And I'm thinking, yeah. reckon? Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, see, I, that sounds natural to my ear. I don't well, have a yes. problem with that. Have we established was... her as a Southerner? Well, I, 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 this is American dialogue being written by Brits, and yes. that happens to correspond with my own cultural background. It's interesting how it varies even here in America. I was in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem uh, once with Steve Ray, uh-huh. uh, who's from Michigan. And Steve is a great guy. He's a great friend. He's also comes from a northern background. And so we were talking about something in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and I pointed to it, and I said, it's over yonder. And <laughs> that was just not in his active vocabulary. And he was totally <laughs> taken by the fact that I used yonder in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. <laughs> but it, to me, it was totally natural. Yeah. Well, apparently at another point, Luke, the character Luke in this also uses Reckon, so that I guess, you know, maybe he picked it up from Barry. Uh, well, but. and I think it, I mean, it came from England. It's yeah. not something we invented here in America, so right. it may be also a piece of period dialogue. Since we're on the subject of dialogue, yes, I was hoping that we could get all the way, I said to myself, I'm not going to pick on Nicola Bryant's American accent, <laughs> which is lousy. <laughs> I'm, you know, we've already made that point. Yes. I don't need to do that. But... This episode keeps bringing it up. Yes. And okay, so I'm sorry, that puts it back on the table. Right. Because not only is Nicola Bryant speaking with a terrible American accent, but um, the both the doctor and the master start talking about the way she talks. And so at one point, uh, the doctor is imitating not... So he's partially using... What he perceives as American slang, uh-huh. um, but then he also tries to imitate an American accent and says, "I'm going to Perry. I'm going to play as you would say a hunch," and he mispronounces "hunch." Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> guy, come on. Yeah, no one, even, uh, no one would ever say it like that. Not what's an American. A hunch. Yeah. yeah, is that like some Star Wars monster? I'm going to get on my hunch and ride across <laughs> the desert. Um, and, and then the master, when he meets Perry is, says that, uh, the, he's got the doctor tied to this, you know, gurney and he's Mm going to kill him. And he says to Perry, I believe your new, that in your, your new modern phrase is he's going to snuff the candle. And I'm going, snuff the candle. That's the modern phrase. No, no, no. Snuff it. He's just going to snuff it. People right. will, when they do use snuff it, they don't even think about what's being snuffed. They, <laughs> right. No candle imagery is involved. 
Well, to be fair, the doctor does say, stuff the candle, you always did lack style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to which the, the, the uh, master responds, uh, look at your look at your outfit. Uh, look who's talking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Perry Nicola Bryant has chosen to do the nas- the the very nasally American accent. It's not I don't know what accent it's supposed to be or where she's supposed to be Ohio or something where they think it's very flat uh, affect, but it's it, it's unidentifiable from an American perspective. It's yeah. like I don't. This is a mix of things. It's not really from anywhere. Yeah, it's like my Scottish accent. Scottish and people, it's, and would, it's inconsistent because it, the British stuff keeps speaking through. Yeah, it does. So, um, the the Ronnie says her her the the master suggests that they use her TARDIS to to get to where they need to go. Uh, they're I think they're going to the mine to her original base of operations, and she says. Her TARDIS is performing a more important function than transporting them around, um, which we never actually see what that function is, do we? I think they allude to it later, but it went by so quick I didn't really get a good handle on it. Okay. So what end, what happens is the doctor realizes that there's a this big painting. It's like a screen yeah, with so a painting on it. It's like a privacy it. screen, like yeah. you would have in a bathhouse. And uh, he realizes that the painting is covering her TARDIS. And yeah. it's and booby trapped. Vol- yeah, he's got a volcano on the in the painting. Yeah, and he like pulls this cord that sets off a mustard gas explosion from the volcano, which gives us a moment of drama. Where I mean, and so they're they're breathing in mustard gas, and <laughs> yeah. his first thought is, let's say the scientific Latin name of what mustard gas is, forcing Perry to say what's that, and then he explains it's mustard gas. <laughs> And is how about don't breathe and get out of the room being the <laughs> yeah. first thing you want to say? Because right. not only is mustard gas an irritant to the lungs, it's also an irritant to your skin. Right. It's going to it's very bad for you. Yeah. So, so they, they end up getting inside the you know, past the booby trap and into inside the the Ronnie's TARDIS where they see uh Which team, looks cool. It does look pretty cool. It's actually I I, I can't look design of her TARDIS. And she's got the best accessories ever. <laughs> she's got T-Rex embryos everywhere. Yeah, uh, everywhere. And then it transports away with the doctor inside, but but he, he kind of kicked Perry out at the last second. And uh, it turns out the, the Ronnie has a remote control for her TARDIS, which uh, the doctor and the master don't. They need to okay, get Okay, so here we have more of the Ronnie praising to build her up as a villain, because separately and independently, both the doctor and the master express amazement that she has a Bluetooth accessory for her TARDIS. <laughs> and and it, 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 I'm I'm sorry, but this is this is bad writing. Yeah. Um, this is something known in it's sometimes called informed attributes, where instead of showing us that someone has a particular attribute, you just tell us. She has a particular attribute. And in right. this case, they're going, oh, she's such a genius. She's solved the Bluetooth problem for TARDISes. And and it's I'm like, OK, wait, isn't the whole reason the doctor is here as opposed to in Kew Gardens is right. that the master himself Bluetooth interfered with the doctor's TARDIS? Right. That drew and it in. Pulled it off course. <laughs> right. How right. hard is this problem? Yeah. Yeah, the the, the doctor like even makes a comment about. I wonder if I could change her mind about me. You know, like 
you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he tampers with the the TARDIS console, her TARDIS console. Uh, we'll find out later what what he did. Uh, but the the Ronnie and the Master grab some big frisbees that she says will change change the Doctor's lifestyle. Um, big metal frisbees. Big metal frisbees. Uh, Ravensworth is looking for the Doctor, and Perry is worried that she's been abandoned by the Doctor. Um, right. But the Doctor reunites with her at the top of the mine shaft, and when she asks what happened, he responds later, where's Stevenson? Uh, By the way, now, let's think Let's think about Perry whining about being stuck in the 1800s yeah. for a second. Okay, so what she's seen is the, the Doctor was in the Ronnie's TARDIS, which took off, and he pushed her out before it took off. Yeah. That's the equivalent of him driving off in a car. Right. You know, because it's a time machine, he can come back. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, I wouldn't be so worried if if I'm if I see the doctor go off in a time machine and I'm temporarily not in it. I know I'm his companion. I'll assume he's going to come back for me. Right. And if he can't come back, well, good thing you didn't go with him then. Yeah. <laughs> something happened to him. Uh, so the, the funny thing is, is when when the doctor says later where Stevenson, my echo woke up and started giving me the inf- Wikipedia article on Adelaide Stevenson. Oh, I don't know what it thought it said, but I thought that was very funny. Meanwhile, um, Luke tells Stevenson that that Michael Faraday, who was supposed to come to the big meeting, is in trouble. So Steven at this Ferndale uh, or Red Ferndale. And 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 he's lying. So we never actually get to see Michael Faraday, which is kind of a letdown. I know. I think they kept him in a cage. So Stevenson Stevenson arms himself to go to his aid and has to shoo Luke off to, to tell Ravensworth to send help. Um, meanwhile, the Ronnie buries her frisbee mines under some leaves, like real good, dis- real good hiding there, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> a good breeze will show everyone where they are. Uh, yeah. The doctor tells Stevenson not to trust Luke. He says he'll go help Faraday. Uh, when offered the rifle by Far- uh, by Stevenson, he says he's given them up. Uh, you know, back to the which doctor. is an, which is f- fine. It's a lot yep. better than the anti-gun screeds we get, right? You know, at other times on this show. Uh, the Ravensworth asks Perry to make a sleeping draft. I- I'm not sure why he asked her. Oh, it's because Jack. Oh, well, it's she's. I think she kind of volunteers. She says that oh, if right. I had, if I knew what herbs are available in this area, I could do that. And so they they eventually uh, they show her a book that I guess has local herbs in it, and yeah. she realizes, oh, valerian is available near here. And in fact, valerian is something that people will take as an herb to help them sleep or relax or whatever. Okay. How? Why, why does she know this? Is she a apparently bonus? she's an herbalist? I guess oh. her generation is really into herbs or something. <laughs> so Luke takes Perry to go find valerian, quote unquote. Uh, he's taken there to Redfern Dell, yeah. which is but, where but the Ronnie's frisbees are. Yeah, and there's an important setup line for this um, that doesn't, it's it's not immediately obvious that it's relevant, but earlier on, the doctor tells Perry that like many scientists, the Ronnie sees us just as walking heaps of chemicals. There's no room for the soul in her scheme of things. Mm. And so that's nice because it is true. A lot of scientists think we're just walking heaps of chemicals and there's right. no room for the soul in their scheme. But there is for this version of the doctor. He acknowledges that we're not just walking heaps of chemicals. Luminous matter, are we? And <laughs> so we've got a soul. Right, right. That's actually a good point. Now, the, the, in her TARDIS, the Ronnie is, just, is pouring a green liquid over the T-Rex embryos. Don't know why that is. Uh, well, I think we find out why later. 
while she's doing this, she and the master reminisce some, about why she was exiled. Some kind of nutrient. It's like the equivalent of plant food. Oh, okay. I thought she was making a, a really gross tea. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the the doctor gets this this sixth sense to don't go into the Red Ferndale minefield. Um, and, and that then, comes out of nowhere. He just psychically intuits that, except they don't explain it as psychic. Yeah, well, he sees a spider web and says, step into my parlor, says the spider to the fly. And I, yeah. th- I don't think I will or something. Uh, so a spider, he's scared of spider webs and that saves him from going into the Dell. Hey, I am all for that. I am <laughs> not spiders either. So, but he does get manage to get the drop on the master and the Ronnie. Um, and, but then Jack and Perry blunder into the minefield and Jack gets Luke, Luke. Sorry. Yes. I might have the wrong, wrong uh, name there in my notes. Luke and uh, P- Perry step into the minefield and uh, Luke gets turned into a tree after stepping into a mine. And the master and the Ronnie are both really, really callous about it. The, you know, oh, well, you know, we don't. Really... Yeah. The, he's he's the, a walking the, pile of chemicals. Yeah. And the doctor has some verbal sparring with the Ronnie about this. And it's like, oh, I bet you'll even say you've done him a favor. Well, actually, the lifespan of a tree is four times that of a human being. So he <laughs> right. is better off. Right. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, in the perils of Pauline, Perry keeps missing, <laughs> stepping on mines until she's just about to step on one, and the Luke tree grabs her. Yes, it, it is actually a not just a tree. rubber branch. <laughs> right. It's only uh, only branch apparently, uh, and uh, it turns it grabs her to prevent her. So there's the doctor then says to the Ronnie, "Now perhaps you'll accept there are more things in heaven and earth than ever dreamed of in your." Baron philosophy, paraphrasing another, Shakespeare again. Another Shakespeare thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, then the doctor makes the Ronnie lead Perry through the minefield, which is kind of uh, funny that, like, she's, she keeps, for all of her cleverness and evilness, these two men keep making her do things that she doesn't want to do <laughs> throughout this episode. Um, me too for the, for the Ronnie. Uh, so the mines aren't buried, though. They're, they're sitting under some leaves. How hard could it be to walk through the minefield Without stepping on them. Yeah. If you don't know they're there, you've got an excuse for stepping on one. But if you know they're there, just look at what you're about to step on. Yeah. You just, it's right. They were, they were, they weren't all that hidden. They weren't buried. Uh, So uh, then they see some of the crazed men heading for the minefield. uh, And then Perry takes over guarding the master and the Ronnie poorly. And while the doctor goes to save them, uh, they, those men then grab the doctor, tie him up, put him on a pole. Like, like he's a, a trust they hog tie him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as the as they end up walking through the minefield, and the two men carrying the doctor both step onto mines simultaneously, uh, and are turned into trees. And the doctor's hanging perilously, if I dare say so, over some uh, over a mine as the pole is slipping him down toward it. Uh, of yeah. course, he doesn't so land on it. It's so. This is just kind of slapstick, uh, you know, to yeah. have the two guys simultaneously get turned into trees in such a way that the pole the doctor is tied to is hooked onto their branches and still suspended. Right. Uh, the and the, this whole thing of like them turning is that there's sort of this explosion of dirt that happens. Yeah. And then there's a tree there, a a very obvious rubber tree uh, from the prop department. Uh, the master and Perry get the uh, master and the Ronnie get the drop on Perry and knock her out. Of course, uh, the Ronnie wants to leave, but the master wants to stay and ambush the doctor when he comes for Perry. Of course, because crazy obsessed with the doctor. Um, the doctor tricks the master into uh, they go. They're in the tunnels, the the uh, the the mine tunnel, and the doctor tricks the master into collapsing the tunnel so that he and the Ronnie have to run to get into their TARDIS. 
while he while the doctor takes Perry out the other way, because uh, earlier we established that the tunnels were kind of uh, the supports weren't all that great. They kind of established yeah. that earlier. Um, it's not like there are never mining accidents, right? Uh, I, I like I like this when they get into the Ronnie's TARDIS. And she's trying to get it going. She's not going fast enough for the master, so he tries to take over the controls. And so yeah. she she kicks him in the uh, shall we say lower abdomen. Yeah. <laughs> she shows the master what for in that uh, instance. So the the and then we we re- this is when we find out what happened when the doctor was monkeying with the console. He sent it flying uh, with uncontrolled velocity to the edge of the universe, and which it's a time machine, so they can once they get control of it. They just yeah. come back, <laughs> but whatever. The same exact spot. It, yeah, and the same exact gonna, moment. Yeah, they'll be a little older than they meant to be when they get back here. But that's but they're about time lords. It. Yeah, yeah. But you know, okay. And but there's time spillage, ca- which ca- uh, from the this journey causing the T Rex embryos to start growing. So you, with with the Apparently, idea that there were lots and lots of calories in that growth fluid she poured into their tanks. Well, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, uh, so we're we're left with the implication that they're about to have a full grown T Rex running around yeah. inside the TARDIS. I wonder if that's connected to the T Rex running around London in the 19th century when the Twelfth Doctor shows up after his regeneration. Well, that would be fun, <laughs> although I don't think that's the intent. And I don't the, think that's the explanation of that one either. Uh, yeah. Also, because the TARDIS, the Ronnie's TARDIS, is in this uncontrolled velocity, they can't do anything to stop the uh the t-rex from growing on the floor because right. it's like one of those barrel rides at a fair where it spins so fast you're yeah. you know you're pressed up against the wall that's basically what's happening to the uh to the ronnie and the master there the velocity of the tardis is is pinning them to the wall as the t-rex grows in front of them the the inertial compensators are malfunctioning yeah so the the doctor we find out uh, managed to pick the master's pocket and stole the brain fluid from him uh, and they give it to Ravensworth <laughs> to hand out as a sedative. But I'm thinking, unless you're putting back directly into yeah. the brain. It- I know. The science here doesn't really work. Your digestive system is going to take that chemical apart. It's not going to make it to your brain. <laughs> but I think what we're meant to understand is that it will somehow survive this magic chemical that exists only in the human brain. Right. Will not be taken apart and will replenish itself mm. in the human brain. What I find hard to accept about this is there's no dosing information <laughs> right i mean how much are you gonna let to... the f- are you gonna let the first guy drink it all and then he becomes rip van winkle and sleeps for 20 years <laughs> i mean given the amount of people that he pulled she pulled it out of like i think a drop is probably as much as yeah, you're supposed to like, put in it's like brill cream a little dabble do ya <laughs> So we find out that Stevenson had, in the meantime, been extracting the TARDIS from the mines where it had fallen. Uh, and then he Got asked... lots of extraction going on in this episode. <laughs> yes, a little bit too much. Uh, the Stevenson asked the doctor to help him solve a technical problem, uh, but the doctor this time just tells him that you'll figure it out and, and you know, doesn't want to monkey with time uh, here. And they go off leaving, you know, they dematerialize right in front of Ravensworth. Yeah. Stevenson, who are left, and, and Ravensworth asks him right before you do, "What do you do in there? What do you do in in there in the TARDIS?" Yeah. And uh, and the Doctor says, "Argue mostly." It's like, <laughs> "Yep, yep, that's true, Dad. That's one of the problems <laughs> with this era." Yes, and uh, I always said he was a strange fellow, says Ravensworth, and we agree. 
All right. Uh, do you have any other notes on this episode? Nope. Uh, that's so, it. Well, yeah, I have uh, just a little bit of feedback on uh, the most recent episode, uh, the episode 136, The Visitation. Uh, that's the most recent episode that folks have listened to. That was the one yeah. that I wasn't available for. Uh, you had become unstuck in time. I had, uh, but I did manage to listen to the episode after, and I enjoyed myself very much as a listener this time. But uh, we had asked about whether children in uh, in the UK learn about the Great Fire of London in school. Uh, yeah. our, our friend Bennett, who is an uh, expert in all things being British, <laughs> says that many of the under 10-year-olds appear to be taught about it in school, but, and both of his children were. Uh, he says, uh, my wife and I also supplemented the class by taking them up to London to climb the monument, where we bumped into other parents who had the same idea. So there's a, And he gives a link, and I'll put that in the show notes, but there's a, a monument to the Great Fire of London. Uh, it's a tower with a, uh, a flame at the top. It's a very tall tower. Mm-hmm. Washington Monument. It's fascinating. An interesting place to, to go. Uh, so... I bet it's not topped with aluminum. Uh, no, no, I think it's... Like topped. the Washington Monument. No. That was super cool because at the time we didn't know how to refine aluminum. It was almost never found in its nat- native state because of how reactive it is. And so it was more expensive than gold or platinum. Oh, interesting. So we've got an aluminum pyramid on the top of the Washington Monument. Well, this one has a, a gold-plated flames. <laughs> ah, so. yeah. See, just just gold, not <laughs> it's, aluminum. Just It's just gold. Not cool yeah. like aluminum. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Bennett, for, for that feedback that, that uh, helped, helped yeah, us. Yeah, cool. To get that. So um, it, we'd first like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Doctor Who, including... Craig H, Adam C, Kenneth L, Chris E, and Mike and Lisa S, uh, together. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Uh, What do you think of this Sixth Doctor serial called The Mark of the Ronnie? Have you seen it? What did you think of it? Did you like the Ronnie? Did you like the story? you have any insights that you'd like to share? You can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or you can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor story, The Doctor's Daughter. Uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, the Master's plans are devious and overcomplicated. He'd get dizzy if he tried to walk in a straight line. Right. This is going to be good.